talking about the final step in meditation. Meditation, of course, is a big thing nowadays. We're seeing it everywhere, and it's growing, and thank God for that, because the world is in utter chaos otherwise. The world is a terrible chaos, so this whole principle of meditation is kind of spreading everywhere. One of the most popular ones is, of course, the Vipassana meditation of Buddhism. Buddhism is brilliant in that it's very simplistic. We are very sophistic, <laughs> sophisticated. But the but the the I son, this was turned up. Can anybody turn it back down a little? It's a little too loud. There we go. Uh, so the the whole idea of meditation today is pop, becoming more and more popularized. It's going on everywhere, and thank God for that because it's really basically as we're going to see, we're going to distinguish out between these ideas of meditation that are going on everywhere and the last part of meditation because last time I spoke here I gave the first two parts of meditation or preparation as it were and then the last one but as I say you can go online today you can go on YouTube or wherever and you can get a whole host of illumined gurus, illumined people who are established in themselves and they'll share with you what you need to do and it's quite an astonishing thing because of the internet. We get to see so much nowadays and we're so very much informed. People all over the world and some of these are very genuine. And these, some are genuine meaning they're very advanced. They're very advanced souls. It's quite an amazing thing to see. But this idea of meditation is common, as I'm saying. And Buddhism is one of the most outstanding, I would say at this point in time, most remarkable techniques in meditation out there because of its simplicity. It just asks you to sit and breathe and open up and witness. And eventually as you do that, you get a little more control over your life. You suddenly find that you're uh, more and more in control of who you are. And in spite of all the difficulties we face, not only do we find we're more in control of our lives, but we also find more and more peace in our lives and strength, which are very, very fundamental and very, very crucial, having that experience of peace, inner peace and strength. Because with that, we can take it out into the world and we can interact and we can grow in the right way. The problem with our, our growth in the world, our growth in general, is that we don't come from a place, a space, a place of space, where we can allow things in and integrate them, not only from the outside world, but from within ourselves. It's very, very important that we have this technique of meditation so that we can not only get informed by the world, as we all know, we're all accomplished people here, and we can get informed by the world and learn and grow and have what I'm going to be talking about in here, this third stage, this mystery of how the mind opens. But we can also do the other part, allow parts of ourselves that are hidden inside to come surfacing out <clears throat> 
And the real essence behind this is not judging it, but letting it work its way out. Because oftentimes what's in our minds is a lot of unresolved gunk. You know, we're filled with a lot of gunk, emotional gunk. And we have to allow that stuff to come out and dissipate itself. Because all the problems exist within us. The more deeply we go into these practices and look at meditation, the more we discover that really it's all about ourself. And the world's nothing but literally a projection of our own problems, literally, completely. People under the same circumstances in different parts of the world or in the same locale all react differently, it's found, to <clears throat> same circumstances. There they have the same problems, they're born in the same environments and whatnot, and yet they react to the circumstances in different ways. So some people become highly accomplished in the world, and they move through life successfully because they make that space in their lives. And from that space, they're able to allow life in, and allowing life in, they can see it objectively and integrate it. And it's really the secret, the big, big secret in any, any field, in every field of study. Allowing life in and integrating it, and so that we can come to it more successfully. So this is the heart of really meditation, according to us. And ultimately, as we'll see, as we continue this process, we're going to see it in this talk today, as we continue this process of allowing the world in, making space, integrating through focus, uh, <clears throat> we grow. We grow in a way to a point where we can uh, be who we are more and more. It's a precious thing to be able to be who you are more and more. <laughs> you don't want to be who somebody else is and have the control of other people. Individuation, a big thing here in the West, especially in America. Especially in America, individualism. Vekanan was big on that. He figured it out soon after he came here. First came here, when he first came here, he started talking about the dangers of individuality. And then he f discovered that these Americans are into individuality. And he also discovered that it's a very healthy thing. It's a stage, a developmental stage in human consciousness. And individualism is a very a powerful, empowering thing because it gives each person the autonomy to do what they need to do. And they're all different, distinctly different. And look at how this American society, and all societies for that matter, but this one was kind of the prototype. And as a consequence, the world has developed and evolved around this prototype of individuation. We're all very distinct. Poke any of us and we're masters of certain areas. And you might meet a person and poke them a little and think they're rather stupid. <laughs> but they're not. You poke them in another area and they know 10 times the amount that I know, you see. So we, we never know what's going on with there, and everybody is very individual. So this is a precious, precious gift of this process, not only of individuation, but making space, allowing ourselves to open out and continuing to do that and never shut down, never shut down, which is part dangerous part of the aging process. Dangerous part of the aging process. We get, we get hard and crystallized. So here is the great Vekananda who really gave us a lot of lots and lots of formulas. If you study the works of Vekananda and wade through a lot of the, they're not edited well, but the content is awesome. 
edited meaning there's a lot of lectures he gave in India, there's a lot of lectures he gave here, and he addressed different issues in, different, in these two different main countries. So that when you read him, you might be reading something in India and it seems irrelevant, which it is nowadays, especially the turn of the last century is when Swamiji was talking. But if you read his Western lectures, then you realize this man is really, really gifted, astoundingly gifted in the way he um, puts things, puts things down and understands. Like I say, first of all, he saw individualism as, as a danger, and then he recognized quickly, he had this kind of an open mind that I'm talking about here, that he was able to quickly see the genius of the country, this openness of the mind, an ability for, to allow everybody to in, individuate simply because it's totally harmless. See, when you allow people to individuate, they're not going to individuate out into, uh, um, into insanity or into evil. That's not the way the mind goes. The mind is always moving out into greater dignity and strength. It does that. It just does it naturally. So Americans have discovered that early on. We discovered it, and it's become now world property. There is no such thing as sin, Vekananda said, the founder of this movement. A sin is a lie. It's the only sin there is, is to call a person a sinner. Okay. That's a terrible thing to call a person a sinner. They're not. They're inherently good. And they just have to be informed of that. Informed. And eventually they look inside and they say, of course I'm not a sinner. I'm crazy, maybe. I'm a little crazy. But that doesn't mean I'm a sinner. And if I can heal this craziness a little more and more and more and more and unravel it, then on the other side of that is strength for everybody. Everybody. So vacant on the father of our whole movement, and I see the prophet of the modern world, is each soul is potentially divine. The goal is to manifest this divinity by controlling nature, external and internal. Aren't we controlling nature externally, and as a result, it's this? But every time you do control external nature, you have to also control your mind. You can't just let it run on and on. You have to sit down and quietly think and reflect and then you learn how to build, you learn architecture and you know how to build buildings and you know how to give psycho do psychology. So it's always a controlling of inner nature and external. Do this, controlling of our minds, healing our minds, opening our minds in other words, by work, worship, psychic control or philosophy. By one or more, or all of these, and be free. Okay. Be free. Deep, breathe deeply. Find our space. You know, and and all the craziness that's in us, and and bless it all. And don't own it. It's not you. Okay. And this is the psychic control. And be free. This is the whole of religion. This is the whole of religion. There isn't anything more. See. Doctrines or dogmas, rituals or books, temples or forms are but secondary details. See. This is what everybody's doing as we'll see today. So the first step of meditation that I gave last time I spoke here was um, being unity. There's an ultimate unity behind everything and everything is opening up into that. We are that unity in fact. We're tapping into that, we're touching that, we're feeling that, we're sensing that, because we are that. There's this ultimate unity, and the second is opening and clearing the mind as it opens into this unity, as I've been saying just now. 
So it's a, it's a unity that we all sense in life, a love. We call it love on our human level. But really, it's, it's a love that's spontaneous and profound and immediate. And the great sages who were in Ramana Maharshi's and others who were in that higher state, they just love spontaneously. And it's a love that is not what we call love, which is addictive and attached. It's a love that is free and open. And it, uh, it has no conditionality to it. So it's a freeing, liberating thing. So these men and women today too, a lot of women are getting into non-dualism. They're very good at it and they're much more immediate than the men. The men tend to be intellectual, I find. But they, they, they can blabber on, but the women can too, but they're, they're, they're very present. And they, they don't talk about love the way it is. It is love, but I'm loving my own self. I love myself and everything. There's nothing else to love. I love myself in the sun. I love myself everywhere. So this, this, this ultimate unity, they get so deeply established in it that they just go around in this space and people see it in their eyes. You go online, <clears throat> you look up some of these people who are Advoitans. You look up Advoita on, on YouTube and you check out some of these people. Some of them are so present that you look into their eyes and you can see they're just not there. They're very focused, very focused. Their minds do not shift, see? Their minds don't shift anymore. So that's this ultimate unity. And the third step, and a little bit more technical, is this idea of making our mind more concentric. See, whenever you do grow, whenever we do grow, whenever we learn something, we have to concentrate. And become, the mind has to get concentric. It's usually scattered. So we have to make it concentric. We have to bring it back to the subject or theme we're working on and get it to focus and revolve around something. In this case, <clears throat> spirituality, but we'll see it's true of all life, all the time. Concentricness of the mind is always going on. The mind is always opening out. Okay. But in this case, we make it concentric and revolving and focusing around a unitive image. Uh, ultimate, ultimate unitive image. It's a very wonderful thing at first. Buddha, Christ, Krishna, a mandala, a yantra. It doesn't matter what that unitive image is. It really doesn't. But we have to stick with it and stick with our practice. And as we internalize that unitive image, like we're doing with everything else we'll see. We're doing with everything. We're internalizing un unitive images. All you go to go to college, and you, they give you a unitive image of how to become a physicist, how to become a chemist, how to become a, a economist. Say, they give you unitive images. Now you're going to have to take all these courses, my son, my daughter. You're going to have to go up this whole whole ladder of information, informing yourself. You see, and as you inform yourself, you're going to get to a place where you're very unified around chemistry. You could talk chemistry, and everybody can sit there baffled over your genius about chemistry. <laughs> but it's all there for all of us. So this is what it is, a unitive image, though. We're taking unity, this process of unity, all the way up to the absolute. We're always trying to manifest unity, but we do it in little ways, as we'll see. So that's what all, the whole thing of this Vedic model is that everybody is doing nothing but this. All religions are talking, when they talk about meditation, in one way or another, they're asking us to focus and concentrate. Go to any of these schools. They're doing the same thing. So Vedic spirituality is very good in condensing ideas. 
They're all doing the same thing. Focus, focus. There's, uh, well, doesn't come to mind, but there's, there, there are all sorts of, go to any of them and you'll see the same. Making the mind concentric, revolving around a universal theme. So I say it doesn't matter if it's Zen meditation, mantra meditation, inner meditation, outer meditation. See, really doesn't, focused meditation, unfocused meditation, unfocused. You sit there and watch, you don't focus. You actually are, but you're doing it a different way. Breathing meditation, walking meditation, the now moment meditation. It all works. It all works because what we're doing is bringing our mind into a concentric place and we're discharging nonsense. And this, is the, this universal approach is the core theme of, of Vedic meditation. That's what we're about. And if we teach it in this way, it's, it's out there. We will own the world as a movement. You know, we will own the world. Now you say, that's a very dangerous talk. Well, you own it in a very healthy way in that it, it will, we'll be, have all the answers to it and we'll become a very important ingredient in the world. We'll be very important in that sense. So that's because Vedic meditation is all about focusing on something that symbolizes a transcendent unity, making space and allowing your mind to focus on that, see? Christianity is big on love, Buddhism is big on compassion, Hinduism is rich with endless symbols and stories. You go through there as those and you're, you're amazed at the depth and profoundity of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. And you get the life of Christ and Buddha and the compassion and love. And we could see this mysterious something that they emanate and they live through. And they are. But we know it's something that's ours. We can't, we can't, we crave it. We crave it because that's who we are. When Christ loves the sinner, uh, you see, that's an astounding phenomenon. Astounding phenomenon. A person abusing him. And we love him dearly because he represents to us something that we know we should be doing ourselves. We can't. And maybe we shouldn't at the time. We should have strength and take a position of strength until we evolve into that. But ultimately, we know there's enormous dignity in that act of love. In his case, it's so profound that everybody had, uh, it submits to it. It says, yes, Jesus is the Christ. But Buddha is also the awakened. Each one of these great souls brings this larger space into life and, and, and expresses it. And everybody is just astounded. Everybody's astounded by that presence. So big love, big compassion. But it's really this transcendence gradually clears the mind as there develops a greater sensitivity to that love. See, we, we keep thinking of we can use Jesus or Krishna or whatever. But here in this country, we're familiar, we're inundated with Christianity. But any image works. Every image works. But we're, we're constantly referred back to Jesus in that love, and that love, and that love. And we fail at it, and we fail at it. And we pray to Jesus, and we struggle, and we fail. But we, we, we come back to it. We have to come back to it. And eventually, the mind becomes softer and more permeable, and, trans and sensitive to transcendence itself. The mind becomes more sensitive to that. Now the thing about Ramakrishna is that he is open to everything, literally. He's what the modern world is becoming. We don't preach it that way clearly. We don't emphasize it, but that's his great gift to the modern world. Astounding gift is that it all works. 
I'm coming from this space because of Ramakrishna and Vekanand. I can talk this way because of them. With clarity, you'll get it in other groups that they all tend to fall into classes and categories and, and groups. And that's quite all right. And we've done it too. But really, our message is not that. Our message is everything works. See? And Ramakrishna taught it again and again and again and again. His whole life was an embodiment of that. Sensitive to transcendence itself. Acceptance is a letting go, says Gary Emery. Acceptance is a letting go, moving through life in an accepting mind. Very delicate, huh? <laughs> it's a very delicate thing to move through life with an accepting mind, a loving mind, exercising that love component in our lives. You let go of your wishes and demands that life can be different. Oh, why didn't that happen the way I wanted it to? Why didn't this happen? Vekaran said about karma, it's an interesting thing, and it made a big impress on my mind. and helps me a lot at times. We think, oh, my karma isn't good or anything like that, or why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen? The whole idea of karma is that everything is unfolding as it should be. And this is a very delicate thing because some people use it in the wrong way. But he said one place, listen. He said, listen, if it's your karma... And you're out in Alaska, out in the snows, wandering around, and you need a shirt. If it's in your karma, a polar bear will come up to you with a shirt and give it to you. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that. That this, this karma really is defining our life, and it's a curse and a blessing in a way. But if we come to life with this openness, without demanding life be different, and it's a conscious choice of coming from that space because it's going to happen anyway, see? It's going to happen anyway. And that isn't, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, submissive weakness because we can change it and we are changing it, but let the parabda karma come, let things come, but become, remain open and spacious see? and strong as you're thrown into hell, as it's your turn in the barrel, right? We get our, all get our turns in the barrel. So making space. Now this principle of meditation opening out into the abstract now is characteristic of everyday life. See, So I want to go into that briefly to show you that there is an ultimate unity and everything is attempting to open out into that. But we're, since we're all in, most of us, we're all in kindergarten, we're trying to adjust our lives. We're not, we're in the second grade, third grade, fourth. God knows where we're at. But we're adjusting ourselves around trying to open out into the abstract. We don't know we're doing that, but that's what we're doing. See, you're all very good at what you do. No doubt I could poke anyone in, and you've got degrees in this and that and that and this, and you've all opened out into the abstract. But you're still sitting here, like all of us, wondering how to get out into the real abstract. We all want to get out into that real abstract. We're good at what we do, but it's not enough. So, simplifying the room. Life is really about purifying, simplifying the mind, which allows uh, for greater openness to life around us. That's all we're ever doing. If you study our system, all that, it does nothing but this. Nothing else. Nothing else. And you go into the samadhis and all these big words and the ida and the bengala and the shashumna and the kundalini and the this and the that and the gunas. And it's all simply around this simple process of opening up to life. And you'll see that all these are nothing but little parts of this puzzle. 
see. All of this stuff uh, that's going on, all of these things in Vedanta are nothing but little parts in this magnificent puzzle. And once you put these things together, you see, oh my God, it's so simple. It's also very simple. The whole thing. So, concentrate. Whenever we boil down to it, it's all about greater openness to life around us. We boil it down, that's all it is. It's all it is. We don't know why, and another factor is, we don't know why, but if it's a peculiar fact. When we concentrate on anything, spirituality or a secular world or anything, at first we're confused, aren't we? We're confused. I don't know what this is about. <laughs> Put it away. But I have to get this course. I'm taking this course. I want money. So I'm motivated to learn this silly thing because I want the money on the other side, <laughs> a degree. So we reluctantly pull it back to ourselves and page through this miserable amount of information that is totally incongruous, see, totally, totally un 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 understandable, incomprehensible. And at first, this is what we're facing. But eventually, we study it. We study it. We look at this miserable mass of information, and we look at it, and we ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? And we push it aside, and we come back to it another two or three days, and we look at it again. And we go through this process of pain, and then suddenly, poof, our mind opens up. And... Uh, and everything falls together. Suddenly, mysteriously, when we're taking a shower or we're wandering around at Starbucks having a cup of coffee and talking to friends and suddenly, poof, oh, that's what that crazy thing is about. Now, I, oh, that's pretty interesting, actually. That's pretty interesting. So it goes all the way down to what we call the Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss sheath. We're starting to bliss out on this for the first time in our, our life, this subject that we've always hated. You know, accounting. I mean, maybe some of you are accountants and I admire you. I really admire you. I think you're geniuses. I hate accounting. <laughs> but some people have this knack of sitting down with numbers and playing with them. And they love it. Why? Because they did it enough times it's gotten into their bliss sheath. They joy out on it. There's an accountant there. <laughs> and he joys out on this stuff, see? And he could sit down and actually enjoy it. So we're opening up to the life in this, in this way. We'll go into it a little and we'll see just why. I won't go into all the details, but just show that we're always reconfiguring our lives around larger unities. See, when you figured out that accounting program, and, you, and one day and it just came to you, and then you just, you're just utterly fascinated about it now. Because you're in control. You're a master of accounting. And you feel powerful. You really do. You feel power coming into your life. You can manipulate numbers and organize them. It was done by a monk. Accounting goes all the way back. Apparently some monk designed accounting. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so they, they do this for the sake of God. You see, for the sake of God. You know, we are doing this to account for all the things we're doing here, which is good. But if any of this brings power to us. Here's a man. Shows up late for work. Shows up late for work. The boss yells, you should have been here at 8.30. The man replies, why? What happened at 8.30? <laughs> 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 
doesn't get it. It's a marvel. <laughs> it is amazing, you see, how it's like a puzzle. Think of it. Think, we're doing this all the time, but we don't know what's going on. We take it for granted. And it's nothing. It's mysterious. It's magical. Magic is taking place in our life all the time. We're given a, a puzzle. All sorts of disharmonious, disharmonious, part, disharmonious parts are there. We don't know. We're just it's all scrambled up in the box. You shake it and you sit it down. You open it up and here's a mess. And you put them all down on the table and you start looking at all the pieces and eventually you see a little pattern here, a little pattern there, and little things come together. And as it all comes together, it falls more and more into it until suddenly it's revealed. A painting of Gauguin or something like that. Oh, that's beautiful. You see. Comes into place. But this is what's happening to us all the time. We're faced all the time with discordant problems. That's where this making this space is very, very important. Because when you learn that accounting program, when I, uh, I haven't done it yet, I haven't done it. But when you learn that accounting program, you have to come back to it with an open framework. You can't come back like this, you cannot. You have to make that space in your mind and let new information in. There's no other way to do it. So you breathe gently, and every two or three days, I've been studying John Dobson. I read him now a lot, and there's so much content there. So I have to periodically go crazy, you see, as I put all these parts. John Dobson is a founder of, of the, the, the sidewalk astronomers, and, and, he, and he also developed all these magnificent ideas around physics and Vedanta and made a segue between the two. So there's so much content, you just have to do that. But you've got to make the space and read it again. And you don't know what you're reading. You know what you're doing. But somehow, mysteriously, it all falls into orderly patterns. And we're always opening to life and reorganizing our life in this way. All the time. All the time we're doing this. Everything is, we're persisting at anything we do eventually, it all seems to fall together in our mind, by the way, in our mind, of its own accord, into a larger state of order or understanding. Mysteriously, in its own accord. You just have to get that information in there. Keep putting it in there. And of its own mysterious accord, it falls into place. It falls into place. You see, I'll read, I'll read John Dobson or somebody like that, and I'll walk away, and I don't know what I've read. I have no idea of what I've read. But I come back to it and read it again. And one day, a little of it falls into patterns. The patterns, I start feeling patterns forming in my mind. And, uh, and, but what I'm talking about here is that ultimate unity. We're unifying things, see. We want to organize and unify things. Because we want to come to life in this sense of success. And that's what unity brings. The whole process is about unity, making space, focusing, and trying to make sense out of it. Orbiting around different subjects, trying to figure them out, and then my, suddenly our mind opens out into deeper patterns, deeper understandings of whatever subject it is. This lecture I'm giving, uh, and you're trying to understand it. You see, I'm giving a lecture, talking about all this, Presto, quite mysteriously, when I prepared this, I didn't, you don't know how you're going to do it. You see? You don't know how you're going to do it. So you have to keep looking at it and formulating, reformulating, and it just kind of adjusts in your mind, and poom, poom, and things fall together, and oh, this should go there, and this should go here, and that, and that. And gradually it falls together. 
So with baseball, you learn how to do baseball, and eventually the man is just hitting a, bat, a ball with a bat, silly little act, and yet eventually you start looking at all the parts and you remember them, and then they start falling into place, and then you start thinking of the National and the, and the uh, American League, and you start thinking about the country and the competition between all of these people. See how you're broadening out? You're seeking for an ultimate unity. We're doing it through our own culture. It's, it's narrow. But, you know, this is an American thing, and that's fine. That's good. But we're, we're adjusting all this information around us in order to sense these, these, these parts of our country, what's going on. It gives us a sense of, of also of, of geography. All of this is developing in consciousness as we're looking at it all, see, as we're looking at it all. So... Computers, you know how that is. We did it suddenly, we have to puzzle over these things again and again. What's an expert? Malcolm Forbes says this. What's an expert? I read somewhere, the more a man knows, the more he knows he doesn't know. So I suppose one definition of an expert would be someone who doesn't admit out loud that he knows enough about a subject to know he really doesn't know much. <laughs> We pursue and persist in certain areas, but no, an expert, I think every expert gets to a place, and it's not that they don't know much, but in their own field they get very good. But then they're always seeing just outside of that world, there's a whole other world that they failed at. They don't know how to put it together. They don't know how to integrate it. So, mental openings, that's what this focusing, and I'm talking, you see, about the sec third stage of meditation. And oddly enough, I'm talking here about a process going on in life. See, meditation is not different, spiritual meditation, than everyday meditations. That's the point I'm trying to make about this Vedic spirituality. It deals with holes, movements, consciousness opening out. See? That's all it deals with. It recognizes that and then shows us how to do that through focusing on, on spiritual objects. So, um, I could see that I've repeated this a lot here in this talk, <laughs> which is quite all right. Uh, Doris Lessing says, that's what learning is. You suddenly understand something you understood all your life, but in a new way. Huh. Okay. We all know it. We've talked about it in the monastery sometimes, some of us, about how suddenly you've been working on all this, and then you, you get it all, and, and all these books are now pretty useless. At one time, you poured over the books and looked at them. But you see, what you're really doing is trying to find an ultimate unity. So even after you've mastered those books, and you're good at whatever you're doing, it's still not enough. It's not enough. Because what we're trying to do is rest in the divine. We're hungering to do indirectly, and we're preparing our mind. See, in all these new ways, as our mind is reconfiguring and giving rise to expansions uh, and problems, as our mind is adjusting uh, to all sorts of limited unities, see, it's a unity. Whatever we know and we've mastered, these are unities, but they're limited. The, 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 the unities around our ego and our, our, sense of, uh, our sense of self, our limited sense of self. We're self-centric. 
You see, the whole idea of these very, anybody who masters any subject becomes a little broader in their approach to life. If you're a real good accountant, you start mixing with a lot of people, and you start learning how to adapt and work with people, so that you, you suddenly have to become broader and broader in spite of yourself. You may be an introvert, but suddenly you feel comfortable with the world around you, more than you have to. So all of this, this, this stuff that with these limited unities are compelling us to be less and less self-centered. Okay? It's a process that inevitably goes on. can't stop it. We, 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 so the, and, and if we remain self-centered, obviously, it's obvious to everything, we've got serious problems. But this individuation I was talking about is a very precious thing because you can allow everybody to individuate out and form their own generalizations. So there's such a diversity going on in the society. Uh, me and mine, everyday needs, this is what we're uniting our surrounding world around. These lesser unities, and it makes the world go round. But behind is the spiritual craving. You see, once this is clearly defined and everybody starts to understand that this is the process going on, then we start honoring the whole thing. And then we start honoring all the religions. And then we start honoring the whole process and we start seeing the value of all these religions and all these symbols and signs and yantras and mandalas and saints and sages, and it all becomes rational with this Vedic religion. It all becomes meaningful. And so it, the world is looking for a new healing. It definitely is. It's lost. And the religions are warring. They're all fighting with one another. They're all, it's, they're all having to readjust. And they're all having to admit that because they're, 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 the, pe the people in all these different, are, they're going on YouTube, you see. They're going on, on, what is it, Twitter and all this. They're having to mix with other people and talk and discuss. It's no longer an insular world. It's no longer an insular world. So this new Vedic model of openness and freedom and acceptance and all the dynamics that fill this in, the gunas and the, as I say, the shashumna and the ida and the pingala and all this stuff is nothing but talking about this unity and everything is moving into it. You need places. Vacant and I talk to Temple Universals. I love talking about Temple Universal, universe, Temple Universal. A place where all the religions are sort of representative and people go in there with all the symbols and they find out what speaks to them. And it opens them up in your own way as an individual. And uh, Ramakrishna has to be there, as I always say, because he is symbolic of the age of total acceptance. See, these religions are trying, like I was saying, to come together. They don't know how to do it. They really don't know how because they're stuck on personalities. They're stuck on personalities, not on principles. Principles are a precious thing, you see. Principles allow the mind to open out into accounting in a thorough, full way before that, or into chemistry or whatever it is. Principles allow the mind to open out and repeatedly open out in those ways because it's a science. It's a science. So we see that's how it works. So spirituality too. We're going to have to see that spirituality works because there's an ultimate unity, not because Jesus Christ said so. And I, I love Jesus Christ and all, all Christianity. It's beautiful, beautiful. 
but that's not the way you get people to unify around a new religion. You can't go to the old religions that were stuck in historical content. You've got to move this new religion out into Vedic spirituality that has no historical content whatsoever. No kind of content. None. And then it works. And then it works. So, what did George Burns say as a man who's living in his own world, you see? He says, happiness is having a larger, loving, caring family in another city. In another city. <laughs> George Burns. So, I repeated, I'm finding I repeated this theme quite a bit here, but it's quite all right. Endless themes miraculously arriving at larger conclusions. We're just seeing this, and I repeat it again and again, and this is how life is doing. It's because, now what I want to get back to now is why is it our mind opens up and flashes in new ways, and suddenly we readjust and come to the world in a better, more open way? And we're stronger, and we feel more successful, but not enough, but enough to be happier with our lives. We don't want to go back to where we were, but we're not where we want to be. And we have to go through a lot of confusion. George Sheehan says, if you want to win anything, a race, yourself, your life, you have to go a little berserk. We have to go a little crazy. We all do at times. We have to go a little nuts. But the mind then falls into order. And we, we don't under, what we what we never recognize, and what the whole process is looked at in the wrong way. See, this process of development is looked at in the wrong way, because we assume we're a body and a mind, and so we don't have the subtle the the basic reference point in our higher nature. See, in other words, we're essentially awareness. We're not our body and mind. We're, there's no boundaries to us. We're omnipresent, and we're immortal beings. Now, this calls to us in spite of ourselves. We may go to sleep over it at times because it seems so abstract and removed, but actually it's that deeper part of ourselves, and we have to hear it again and again that there are no boundaries to who we are. It's because we're projected out, stuck on externals, that we can't witness or sense our higher nature, which is free, omnipresent and immortal, unchanging. It's always there. It's always speaking to us. And we're, it's always compelling us to, to, to break out of who we are. And as we get older, we give up. But that this is the proper perspective, the formula. We're essentially awareness, and that's why we're able to open out more and more. See? We're always able to open out more and more. And Sankhya, Sankhya talks about how the mind is mechanical, and it really is. What I mean is, when you open out, as I was saying earlier, you, you learn new things. They formulate, they fall into place of their own accord. It's like a kaleidoscope. And you shake it, and then you look, and everything falls into another pattern. And so when you inform the mind, it just falls into this new pattern. Why? Why does it fall into a new pattern, your mind? Because you're awareness. You're not your mind. Suddenly, you become more aware. Oh, that's what that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I knew it all along. I mean, it's so obvious. It never is, of course, at first. But as we inform ourselves 
and it gets into our mind, it reconfigures, reconfigures, readjusts, and then suddenly, oh yeah, now I'm aware of this. All, oh, that part goes there, this goes, oh yeah, yeah, it's so easy now. So you see, we're going, the formula is wrong. The formula is wrong. It's not that we're struggling as minds and bodies to manifest the divine. No, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. We are the divine. We are that infinite divine unchanging. And our mind, we're, we're, we're struggling. We're not even struggling. Our mind is struggling. Our mind is struggling to reconfigure around this basic theme. It's a projected part of, of who we are. So our mind is wrestling. It doesn't know what to do. And then we, awareness, which is the governor, says, I want to look at something new. There's frustration going on. It's never really identified. Your awareness is never identified with the frustration. That's why it's able to look at new things. These lumen souls that are out there today, if they are, and I think they are, you could see them on YouTube and whatnot. They know this. They know that when, you, when you're going to wrestle with your mind, or when you're going to deal with your mind and grow and have your mind grow, just give it space. Allow it to be crazy. Allow it to suffer. Don't try to take the suffering away. Be present with the suffering. Make space for the suffering. Know, know that you are not the suffering. The fact that you can witness it, it'll go away, by the way, by the way. It'll go away. But witness the suffering. And don't let it drive you. You drive it by witnessing it. And then over time, your mind will readjust and you will be able to assimilate that problem and deal with it properly. You'll be able to look at it and understand new things that you couldn't. If you reacted to it, then you would get stuck in that. So they say, be with your pain, your misery, with your failing. And don't try to change it. Don't try to justify it. Don't get into your story. Stories kill us. They don't get us anywhere, our stories. So don't get in your story. Be in the present moment and allow that to be there. And, and without any solutions, you don't have an answer. Live with it. And on the other side, with a positive, cheerful, in a positive, cheerful way. When we don't, of course, then we go crazy. Then <laughs> you go crazy temporarily, we go crazy. Then what happens if you live with that pain and that confusion and that in unresolved part of yourself? You will become aware of what to do with it. See, just like everything else, all these other puzzles that we deal with, you will eventually, in your pain, that's what they teach in Zen, that's what they teach in Christian meditations now, focusing meditation, I think it is with Father Keating, and all these other different things, different things, you surrender to Christ. You surrender to Krishna. You think of this. You think of that. And, and, don't, and allow the suffering to be Christ will take care of it. God will take care of it. The truth will take care of it. But really, it's you. You see, ultimately, it's you. You're becoming aware of how to deal with this as you attune yourself to this higher Krishna or Christ or Buddha or whatever it may be, say, or the Antra. So you're making space, allowing your own self to become aware. And Christ does help you, by the way. Buddha is there. These, subtle, these are subtle beings on the subtle plane, causal plane. They do help people. So it's not as if it's just us. 
So let me read from the scriptures, the Upanishads. Atman, smaller than the small, greater than the great, that self within us, is hidden in the hearts of all living creatures. It's the one reality existing everywhere. A man who is free from desires, working out all this pain and suffering inside of ourselves, suddenly we come to a place where we can rest in a peace within ourselves. A, man, a person who is free from desires beholds the majesty of the self. Our own essence is majestic. This is the argument. Your own essence is majestic. That's why you're compelled to grow. The majesty of the self through tranquility of the senses and the mind and becomes free from grief. Ah, all that pain inside, all that anxiety, all that deep hurt. Eh? Suddenly we found a place in the universe where that gets healed, and it's right who we are, where we are right now. You are that. The mind will race on. The stories will continue to move on, see? The whole idea of this focusing in meditation has been, is, and will be getting us more and more into the present moment okay? with Christ, with the Buddha, with this, with that, with a mandala, with a mantra, into the present moment. And in that present moment, one day for all of us, inevitably, it'll dawn on us. I'm free. And in a profound way, see, profound way I'm, you rest in that ah here is my peace this is what I've been craving for okay. it's right with me all the time it was me I was stuck in my mind though sitting still it travels far though lying down it goes everywhere okay. your own self who but myself can know that luminous Atman who rejoices and rejoices not the wise man, having realized Atman is dwelling within impermanent bodies, but itself bodiless, vast, and all-pervading, does not grieve. Grief goes away. So it's facing, making space, recognizing the drive of our human mind towards an ultimate unity, this hunger we have, that, 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 that's hidden behind all of our uh, narrow attempts at unity. And, uh, and it's always craving. We're always craving that. By means of the higher knowing, the wise behold everywhere Brahman. To expand, the expansive. Ah, you see, your heart is expanded. Your soul is suddenly expanded. It was all along. You were just identified with your mind which otherwise cannot be seen or seized, Brahman, which has no root or attributes. Okay? It's free, it's peaceful, it's loving, it's open. There are no attributes there in the terms of the world. No eyes or ears, no hands or feet, which is eternal and omnipresent, all-pervading and extremely subtle, which is imperishable and the source of all beings. Okay? Ah. Ooh, 
Now, this is possible today. In the past, probably it was very difficult for the world because in the past, the world was very constricted in its thinking. Our way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. This is it. How in that state of consciousness can you rest in infinity, in love, in peace, in freedom? How in heaven's name can you do it? But today, the whole world is being compelled to acknowledge an ultimate unity. We've been moving through all these lesser unities. Now, globally, we're coming together and we're having to admit to a, a unity that embraces it all. And this is the unity, okay? which is eternal and omnipresent, all-pervading and extremely subtle, which is imperishable and the source of all beings. Uh, here is what Socrates and Plato said about passion. We get stuck in the world, so you get stuck in the world. It says, the passionate, says Plato, are like men standing on their heads. They see all things the wrong way. <laughs> we all do it. My belief is that to have no once, says Socrates, my belief is that to have no once is divine. To have no desires, no clinging is divine. Of course, okay? no ones, no clingings, no needs. They saw there, the old Greeks had someone's insights and understandings into this thing too. And this was a vacant on anyway. Who's the father of this? We've run out of time. But what we see is that this process in life is always getting deeper and deeper. This acts, these acts of unity, these these hungers of unifying the surrounding world around us. And as that power of unity is internalized more and more through the secular world, we're more and more equipped to look at the spiritual world in a new way, okay? a whole new way. Awesome. Because this profound peace was the one that Christ exuded. This profound unity and compassion was the, the uh, uh, unity and, and love was the, 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 the thing that the Buddha exuded. Okay. Now we can see why they were so successful. But we're successful too. That was what Vekananda taught again and again and again and again. Strength, strength. Never think yourself weak. He used to say, think of yourself, try to think of yourself as in the sun. <laughs> he did all sorts of strange things. Think of yourself as in the sun. When you're walking along and you see the sun, I'm in that sun. I am that sun. I'm everywhere. The sun works pretty well, you see, because it, it is closer to our nature. There's a mantra in, in India, the Gayatri mantra, which is a masterpiece. India had all these little has all these little techniques for this ultimate unity, see. And it's the Gayatri mantra. It's a masterpiece of working out, getting the mind acclimatized to that ultimate unity. In the three worlds exists that, that divine sun. I meditate on that sun. May it illumine my mind. I meditate on that divine sun. But, it, but you see the sun in India, they often meditate on the sun that way. They live with that idea. It's cool, it's very, very cool. <laughs> So these symbols of transformation going on all over the place. 
The Atman cannot be attained by the study of the Vedas, in other words, the study of the world, or by intelligence. So you can't do it intellectually. You can't do this intellectually. We can think of it intellectually, but to achieve it, we have to go through the inner pain of acknowledging our problems. Uh, or by much learning or sacred books, it is attained by him alone who it chooses. In other words, when you get to that place, you can't get there because we're egos. We can't get there. We are there. We're there already. But that understanding has to occur. And then suddenly, oh, but the mind, the ego has to dissolve. It's a different thing altogether. But the craving you had, the desire you had is you all along. To such it chooses, to such a one, Atman reveals its own form. All these mysterious statements in, in Vedanta and about pain and suffering. Life breaks us all, and we heal stronger in the broken places. For consolation of that, Nietzsche, who is a broken man at times, but he also is a genius. And when you cling to pain, you only succeed in pouring more salt on the wound. Anonymous, I got it. When we cling to pain, we only succeed in pouring more salt on the wound. Don't cling to the pain. Allow it to be there. It'll go away, but allow it to be, and then you become aware of what it is, what was doing it. So, then, so I'm finished, of course. I'll read Vacan on, and then two more quotes from the Upanishads. The Upanishads are very powerful, I've become to see, more and more. Thus, Swamiji says, thus we'll come to the basis of belief, the real essence of religion, the essence of religion. Okay. We'll observe for ourselves whether we have souls, whether life is of five minutes or of eternity, whether there's a God or not. It will all be revealed. This is what Raja Yoga proposes to teach. It's what we've been talking about, focus, the unit of thing, making space, all of this, you see. So, this is the presence behind the whole universe. Here we'll read again from Katupanishad. The wise man who by means of concentration on the self realizes that ancient effulgent one. We'll let it ring. It's good. Meditate on it. <laughs> Okay? All right. The wise man who, by means of concentration on the self, realizes that ancient effulgent one, who is hard to be seen, unmanifest, hidden, and who dwells in the buddhi and rests in the body, he indeed leaves joy and sorrow far behind. And finally, <clears throat> the mortal who has heard this and comprehended it well who has separated that Atman, the very soul of Dharma, from all physical objects, and has realized the subtle essence, rejoices because he has obtained that, which is the cause of rejoicing. The abode of Brahman, I believe, is open to Najiketa. <laughs> <laughs>